welcome back to the Cloak and Dagger podcast. Uh, my name is Patrick. I am joined as ever by my co-host Will. Hi, Will. Hey, Pat. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm very excited for this episode because this is a very special episode. If anyone didn't listen to last week's episode, um, we are taking a bit of a different turn on this because we will be looking at uh, John F. Kennedy, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. However, because this is a story that I think a lot of people know, um, you know, it's it's quite a common tale, especially if you're American, you'll know a lot about it. Um, but I think across the world, it's one of the most famous assassinations in history. Um, we thought we'd bring some outside help in to talk about this and maybe look into some of the conspiracies around the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So rather than just the facts, um, we'll be looking into what, you know, what the real truth is. You know, we'll, we'll first look into what the government wants us to believe and then we'll <laughs> dive into what 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 the truth is who the who the real culprits behind it are i am really excited to hear this one out because yeah. uh especially getting a, a proper conspiracy theorist expert on this is just going to make <laughs> things so we have, so we interesting have, we have and we to get him out. the fact that the fact that we've actually managed to find him and like he'll give up so much of his time i'm just like oh, so honored it's extraordinary you know? it's extraordinary i mean when we when we finally got into contact with his bunker i was really surprised i mean it was in the middle of and nowhere yeah, and that Morse code thing—that was that really worked well. Well done for for using Morse code. We never. Yeah, really got yeah. I thought that I thought the treasure trail to 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 find his location was a bit over the top. Hey, you know, that's what the guy wants to do. <laughs> that is that is what he wants to do. So yeah, so that is that is going to be the structure of the episode. I'll be taking us through kind of the facts, um, just so that you can kind of get a grip of what the story is, um, a bit of a background on uh, JFK's presidency, um, and then yeah, we'll dive into what we think will be the more of the main bit. Um, when we're discussing the conspiracies. So yeah, let's begin. Let's do it. So John F. Kennedy was the 35th president of the United States and he was in power from 1961 till 1963. And his presidency was a very interesting president because it was at the height of the Cold War, which if for some reason you don't know what that is, that's the sort of ideological <laughs> and geopolitical tension between the United States and the Soviets. That's not a proper war because there was no actual battles, but a kind of, you know, behind closed doors war across the world if that's the best way to put it. And Kennedy himself, as he was president, he was certainly not passive in this war um, and presided over some really strange, possibly criminal uh, activities that were that were done by the United States. In 1961, he authorised an attempt of 1,400 US-supported Cuban exiles to invade their own country and overthrow their communist leader, Fidel Castro, that would be later known as the failed invasion called the Bay of Pigs. So that was, that was a, a major, big, up. major yeah. disaster on them. Um, and then later that year, Kennedy authorised uh, the Cuban project, which is also known as Operation Mongoose, which some people might know. Um, and it was this sort of uh, extensive campaign of terrorist attacks in Cuba um, uh, by the CIA. So it's some really ah. awful stuff they were kind of getting up to. Um, and then this kind of all kind of culminated i mean it would could go could continue for his entire um term uh but at least this bit centered around cuba kind of culminated in what is possibly the closest humanity has ever come to extinction um in a, a time called the cuban missile crisis which was this kind of a little over a month long um period where both the the united states and the soviets were 
at really at odds and it was you know a hair's breadth away from full-out nuclear warfare which would have, of course destroyed the world a terrifying time yeah Absolutely. really scary time and we think you know today's times are scary but that would have been just just awful i mean you could have thought your entire world would go up in flames at like at any moment so some really scary a really scary time um but kennedy was able to kind of avert this and avoid the, the end of the world essentially and then actually ended up signing the world's first nuclear weapons treaty with the Soviets, um, which is kind of a nice way to kind of cap off this time of very dangerous tension between the United States and the Soviets. Um, and actually what I didn't know about, but it was this time when they created the hotline, which is a direct piece of communication between the Pentagon and the Kremlin. So they literally have no. yeah, a way of communicating directly to, because the, you know, the communication was so slow uh, they were both sides were worried that a f- miscommunication could lead to nuclear war, and it wouldn't even be provoked; it would just be an accident. So they set up. So wait, up is this... it a landline? Literally a landline? It, well, no, it's not. I don't think it's one connection, but I do believe it is. It. I mean, it is technically a phone number. I think that the Kennedy would get <laughs> on the phone with Fushchev, and like the Pentagon, and you know, high up members of the Pentagon, high up members of the Kremlin would be in direct communication, so that they could sort out their mess without accidentally destroying the world, which seems like a good idea. And actually, it's yep. still in place today. It's mostly email now, but and you know, everyone <laughs> has direct lines of communication with WhatsApp. everyone, so it's not. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, quite MSN. as amazing. Um, but in Kennedy's presidency, he also uh, presided over the continuation of the Apollo space program. So a really big moment in, in human history. Um, and this was also the era of uh, the civil rights movement. So Martin Luther King and the sort of height of the Jim Crow laws. And Kennedy supported civil rights, um, but wasn't really, be able, wasn't really able to push a lot of his uh, legislation through. It's a weird thing in America where presidents have a lot of power in foreign policy, but kind of not a lot of power. Um, in domestic policy and they had and he only just narrowly beat out um, the Republican candidate who was Richard Nixon but the Republicans were still quite heavily in power and there was this still a real push against uh, integration and uh, a push against civil rights so yeah really interesting presidency like it's, he's he's a, such an amazing time in history and he was a very popular president I mean he was this very good-looking charming guy he was very young he's actually the youngest president to uh, ever be elected um he was also the first catholic although that and that you know mm. made lots of catholics really love him but he was a very sort of secular president so anti-catholicism wasn't really uh, too directed at him but he was this really great charismatic president that everyone loved the kennedys kind of became america's royal family um everyone loved his wife jackie kennedy um and they were constantly on the move constantly meeting people and campaigning and doing all sorts of stuff so he was a very popular president I think that it's really interesting that uh, you say that he was a really popular president. I mean, they do say that the first two years of a presidency before the midterms is the best time of a president's Mm. uh, term, if it's a one term or a two term. So he dies from 61 to 63. He's only in for two two years. So he's had all of his heyday. Yeah. It'd be interesting if he hadn't been shot, then maybe he would have turned out to be a less interesting president. Well, yeah, it's it's sort of, yeah, he was able to do a lot of... um, uh, sort of legislation that he could get through quite quickly. You know, he never had to deal with really pushing through all the civil uh, rights stuff because that was after him. Um, I mean, you know, he got through uh, the the Cuban Missile Crisis and, you know, bollocks up the Bay of Pigs, but that is a very tense time in history <laughs> and he was able to get us through it. 
you know, who knows what Nixon would have done, given what we then find out about Nixon many Lord. years later. So, yeah. you know, he, it's it's interesting. But yeah, he was such a popular guy, but mainly just because he was good looking. Not well, not just because he was good looking, <laughs> but that was a big part of it. You know, he was he was seen as sort of this. Well, he's not one of these like in. gray old men who've been running America ever since the war, yeah. you know. Exactly, which is what people thought of Nixon. In fact, yeah. uh, one of the reasons Kennedy got elected is because they started doing uh, televised debates. And Nixon sounds really smart and clever um, and a really great leader uh, on radio. But in person, he's very sweaty. He has a limp. He looks a bit kind of... He's got a bit of a five o'clock shadow, whereas Kennedy wore makeup. He was this war hero. He was this cool guy. He was much younger. Um, so, yeah, he just was a big favourite to uh, America or and and the world um at large at all so it was pretty 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 amazing but as you've said and as you know eagle not eagle-eyed eagle listened that's not really a word eagle listened uh listeners will know uh 1961 to 1963 is not a full term and his presidency was cut short uh one sunny day in november 1963 Ooh. so at this time, Kennedy was planning, uh, as kind of all presidents are, they are planning for their re-election. Uh, you know, their, their first term is very much about uh, securing their second term. And a really key state to Kennedy's campaign was Texas. So on the 21st of November 1963, uh, Kennedy and his wife Jackie departed on Air Force One for a two-day tour of Texas, uh, along with his vice president, Lyndon B. Johnson to try and you know, drum up um, support for him and really kick off his uh, campaign for re-election. He was actually going to announce his campaign um, there. Not that like anyone assumed that he was just going to give up after his first term, but <laughs> you still have to announce it, and Texas is where he was going to do it. So Kennedy's first stop was Fort Worth, which, if you're not from Texas, Fort Worth is a city, not a fort. Excuse <laughs> me for a bit, but it is, it is just, it's, it's like their fifth largest city, I think, or at least was back then. Um, and they uh, they landed at uh, just before midnight um, and stayed at a hotel, ready to kick off their tour the next day. So on the 22nd of November 1963, at 8.50, Kennedy gave uh, an impromptu speech just outside his hotel to a crowd that had gathered, and then gave a second uh, scheduled speech inside the hotel to the Fort Worth Chamber of Commerce, where he okay. was, you know, just speaking to them, you know, drumming up support. However, no one knew at the time that these would be the last public appearances made by John F. Kennedy. So, already getting a bit spooky. It's very spooky reading about this. None, like no other episodes, have we had so much detail about uh, the the day of the assassination. So after that, after his what would go on to be his final public appearance, the Kennedys moved, went back to Air Force One, and then flew to Dallas to continue the tour. So and I'll and I'll be quite specific about the times here because it's you know it's important to know exactly what happened. Absolutely. Uh, when yeah, you yeah. get a re really good idea of the of the timeline. So at eleven thirty eight a.m., Air Force One lands in Dallas. Um, after disembarking, the Kennedys take a bit more time than they're supposed to, shaking hands and greeting a crowd that had met them. You know, Kennedy's such a popular guy. There's crowds everywhere he goes. He and Jackie are shaking hands. Jackie Kennedy is actually um, is given a bouquet of red roses that she takes with her. Um, and then the two of them, along with the vice president um, and his wife, and, as, and with them was the Texas governor, John Connolly, and his wife. They all uh, got into a motorcade to travel through Dallas, um, heading towards the Dallas Trademark for a lunch and another speech. 
So this is the oh, a bit of a convoy, okay. and the convoy is really long. Like I was, I, I looked up to try and get the number of cars. There's like dozens, and like you know, it lists all the important ones, and then goes and several police cars behind them. It's a really long, um, <laughs> okay, a, 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 a really long convoy, a motorcade. Yeah. yeah. Now the Kennedys were sat uh, in the back of a 1961 Lincoln Continental four-door convertible limousine, which might be the longest the car way to travel I've ever said. Um, yeah, and it's this grand, really big open top, and they had the the top down. It normally has this sort of bubble top roof, but because uh, this was to kick off his his election campaign, his advisors and Kennedy himself wanted to make sure he was seen as accessible to all his fans, and there were hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets hoping to get a glimpse of the Kennedys and so he wanted to be on show he wanted to be seen he wanted to be loved you know this is where he's kicking off his campaign so it's important that he's on display although we know I really think probably the best I mean, idea. yeah I was gonna say he's really gonna regret that decision what's really interesting and I don't I haven't confirmed this but I can't think of any other time I've ever seen a president since this sit in a uh, open top limousine or has ever been on display like that possibly because of this day because it's just it's tempting fate um and obviously there would have been a huge amount of you know new procedures in place after this day so but you know he wanted to be seen he wanted to be loved and it's in that is important in, a, in an election campaign so they uh depart at 11 52 at 12 21 uh the president's motorcade turned onto main street in dallas and they were heading for dealey plaza um at 12.29, the motorcade uh, turned onto Houston Street. And uh, I'll put a map in the um, in the Instagram so everyone can see, because it's, you know, people have really, like, laid out exactly the route, so it's important of to know course. where he was. Um, and then as he was turning onto Houston Street, Nellie Colony, who is the uh, first lady of Texas, the governor of Texas' wife, turns around to Kennedy and says, Mr. President, you can't say Dallas doesn't love you, to which Kennedy replied, no, you certainly can't. Oh my god, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. These are his last words. No. Because at 12.30, just after the motorcade turns left onto Elm Street and pass by the Texas School Book Depository building, um, and they're heading towards a grassy knoll on the right, three gunshots are heard by witnesses, and they ring out, and chaos ensues afterwards. You know what? I was thinking about it, what you said earlier, like, um, it's quite shocking this this murder that we're this assassination that we're covering i think one of the reasons for it is uh, you know i've seen the footage yes I've seen yeah. it happen there is and it's so chilling. much footage yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, there's there, there was there was lots of people there taking pictures and taking film because everyone wanted to film the kennedys and this was in this very open space there was a huge crowd there this was the time to get the the great shot of this you know this this beloved president in his open top um, limousine careening down uh, a Texas street. And like this, this area of uh, Dallas in particular is very important. This is like their grand plaza. Um, and so it's very important to them and great to see the president coming down here. So witnesses at the time heard three shots uh, ring out. Uh, one shot struck President Kennedy in the neck, passing through him. And according to a commission that was later looked into this, it then passed through him and hit Governor Colony in the back. So one bullet hit both. Wow. Then a second shot hit Kennedy in the back of the head and it covered the inside and outside of the limousine with blood and fragments of brain and skull. So the de- second shot definitely 
if the first shot didn't kill him, the second shot definitely did. And then the third shot was also heard, but no shot was found to hit the motorcade, so it was assumed that this shot missed and went wide. Okay. There was also a civilian in the crowd who was also hit. A man named James Tay uh, was struck in the cheek by either a bullet or a fragment of the bullet um, as it struck somewhere else. So after the shooting, Kennedy is then rushed to Parkland Memorial Hospital, but at one o'clock he is declared officially dead. And then at 2.38 aboard Air Force One and while standing next to Jackie Kennedy, who's still covered in her husband's blood, Vice President Johnson is sworn in as president. God. Okay. Well. So. So yeah. That, so that is the, the basics. That, that, <laughs> those are those are the basics. Those are the that, that that's the basic idea of what happened um, that day. However, we'll also go into uh, the culprit because an hour before uh, Johnson was sworn in, the police had already arrested a suspect who they believed to be the shooter. So they didn't hang around. Wow, that and was it's quick. Not, it, I mean, it's not. It wasn't a drawn out, you know, hunt um, for the shooter. So, during the shooting, witnesses had reported hearing shots from different directions, but several of the accounts uh, mentioned the southeast corner window on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building, which is why I mentioned it earlier, they drove past it. Okay. When police questioned the manager of the building, only two of the employees were unaccounted for. One of the guys um, had just stepped out to watch the motorcade and had been barred from getting back into the building, and the other man was a guy who had only been working there for a month, and his name was Lee Harvey Oswald. Oh, okay. So he was an employee there. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Okay. Just for a month, though. So pretty suspect. Mm. So once they kind of started believing this guy may be you know, a suspect, they need to hunt him down, the police circulated a description um, of Oswald uh, across the city to all the police officers. And then actually later, after thoroughly searching the building, the police found bullet casings near the sixth floor window, as well as a stashed weapon, a Italian Carcano M91 38 bolt action rifle. Okay. Which they quickly summarized was probably the, the, the gun that shot the president. Right. So while this was going on, however, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald had already left the building. He'd actually had been stopped by a police officer um, and his uh, supervisor as he was leaving, but the supervisor obviously recognized uh, Oswald and said, no, 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 this is one of my employees, he's fine and he was allowed to leave. So at 1.15, uh, Oswald had already made it um, back all the way across town to the boarding house, which is where he was staying. And uh, about 59 minutes after he left, uh, a Dallas policeman by the name of J.D. Tippett spotted Oswald wandering around aimlessly and believed he matched the description that had been put out by the police 30 minutes before. So he was quick to be uh, caught by a, another police officer. But he was walking around uh, aimlessly. So he's just yeah, shot the president. Yeah, supposedly and he's walking around aimlessly. Surely, I don't know about you, yeah. but if I was Lee Harvey Oswald, I'd be getting out of town. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a weird uh, series of events. He goes back actually to his boarding house to pick up a, a gun, to pick up a thirty-eight revolver um, and a new coat, supposedly. Oh, right, so okay. I guess maybe you know he possibly thought he hadn't been stopped, he hadn't been caught, so maybe he'd possibly gotten away with it. Right. Okay. Um, but when this police officer J.D. Tippett stopped and confronted Oswald. Oswald shot the police officer four times in front of witnesses and killed him. Oh, God. And then fled the scene. Well, if that doesn't so, yeah, seem so he... guilty, I mean, something's on his yeah, conscience. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Clearly. So police signs were heading towards that spot, but he fled and made it to the Texas theatre, a, lo uh, a local theatre, and he snuck in and obviously tried to lay low. However, at 150, 
police officers, uh, after being tipped off by some people who had seen him enter and thought he looked suspicious, entered the theatre and arrested Lee Harvey Oswald on the stage and took him away. Wow. So at that point, they had caught who they believed to be the suspect and who, you know, seemed to completely fit the bill and had already shot another police officer. So they thought, you know... It's interesting that he was in a... I mean, it's not a cinema, it's not a theatre, but, you know, theatres have a a strong resonance with uh, presidential assassinations. Abraham Lincoln was shot. very interesting. I hadn't thought about it, yeah. Theatre's not a good place for presidents to be linked to. No. Um, but this is a bit better rather than the president being shot this is where the, the culprit was caught true yeah. so yeah so he's caught and taken to Dallas City Hall um, to be held however that isn't the end of the story there's one more part of this after being questioned by uh, both law enforcement and the press Oswald protested that he was he was claiming that he was a patsy um, and he also requested to be represented by a man named John Abbott who was the staff attorney for the Communist Party USA. Oh, right. Um, He never got any um, support from any communist groups, but that's what he requested. And then after being held for two days in Dallas City Hall, Oswald was to be transferred to county jail, but he never made it. On the morning of the 24th of November, when he was set to be moved, a man named Jack Ruby entered the Dallas City Hall uh, garage when he was being moved and in front of cameras shot Oswald with a handgun. God. And then Jack Ruby himself was arrested. Oswald was uh, taken to the same hospital that Kennedy had died two days before um, and then died. Oh. So there's this weird bit of... I mean, that hospital went through a lot in those couple of days. That's so, so cyclical, treating, isn't it? God. Yeah, very interesting. And then when asked, Jack Ruby said that uh, why he did it was to spare Jackie Kennedy from having to testify from uh, Oswald's trial. Okay. So... Pretty weird. So it's this very weird series of lots of deaths. You know, it's not this long drawn out hunt for a man. Uh, there's no kind of, at least at the time, people thought, you know, we've caught the guy. This is it. We've done it. Um, and then he himself gets shot by this other guy, Jack Ruby. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's a that's a lot to take in. But yeah, I it didn't realise yeah. how so, quick it would be. I didn't. Re- I thought it would go over a few days. So that's interesting. Um, no, no, it is. It all happens really quickly. I mean, it, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the entire city must have gone on lockdown um, as soon as the president got shot. So, and then yeah, and then he just. I mean, maybe if uh, Oswald had done a better job of laying low, he could have got away. But he just decided to wander aimlessly. And this poor police officer, who probably is the reason we knew it was Lee Harvey Oswald at all. I mean, if he hadn't stopped him, he could have just wandered out of Dallas, maybe may have been able to escape. There were certain things where when they found the rifle, they were able to uh, trace it back to Lee Harvey Oswald, or at least an alias that he had used. Um, so there's a good chance he would have been caught eventually. But just to have such closure so quickly is, is amazing and pretty unique. Okay, and uh, I'm guessing that uh, our, our confidential source will be <laughs> have a lot of problems with that uh, party line. Oh. Well, that's the thing because a lot of where we get where we get um, this information from is from sort of two commissions done by the government. And to be honest, who in their right mind wouldn't believe an official government commission? I mean, you know, <laughs> this is what they want us to believe, and why would they lie to us, eh? So that's fascinating. I'm really looking forward to getting under the skin of this with some conspiracy theories. And joining us now will be, um, well, do you want to introduce him, Patrick, since it's your episode? Well, uh, yeah, maybe. Let's just, just 
Let's check if he's in the bunker. I don't know if he's if we can can we can we, we need is he on the like secure ha- is he on the secure line? We need like a ham line. radio, don't we? Because that's that's how that's how conspiracy theories talk to each other. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we've brought in an expert, or at least the closest thing we have to an expert we know of. Um, yeah. Eagle, are you, are you there, Eagle? Patrick, Will, can you hear me? I can. I. I think I can just hear you. I think you're, you're, coming, you're coming. You're coming through. through. You're coming through. Yeah, on, okay, on our own hotline. Our hotline. Since, since you found me, I had to move where my bunker was. Oh, I see. oh really? Okay. Yeah, well, you were the first don't... people to find the other one, so um, I had to move to a new undisclosed location. Well, well done for finding me, by the way. Like I said, you were the first people to do it, so actually, you're the first people to use my services. Well, oh, we're good. Oh, oh, so so this is a this is a service that you provide to anyone who can find you. Yeah. <laughs> You find me, you get one free conspiracy solve, essentially. I, I've cracked the JFK case for you, so you can take this to You've whatever government it. you want to take it to. Oh, we have oh, wow. a cracked case. This is an exclusive. Breaking this is news. a worldwide exclusive. My, yeah. my God. I've cracked it. Wow. I mean, our, our rankings for this podcast is going to go through the roof. Either that or we'll be put on a watch list. But I think Probably if, both. If, I, Probably both, if yeah. that's what it takes to get a good podcast, I'm, I'm fine with that. But yeah, so... Eagle, would you like to... Well, yeah, th- thanks for having me on, first yeah. of all. Um, you know, this is the, the best platform to get the story out on, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a lot of the theories out there are really bad, so I'm just going to take you through a, th- a few bad theories before we dive into the good ones and really dig into this. Okay. So I think the first bad theory I want to go over is Umbrella Man. Ooh... Okay, so as Patrick mentioned, this happened. The assassination happened in Dallas um, in November. It was a sunny day. There was no rain yet. On the grassy knoll, there was a man holding a black umbrella. So, when they went to look through the tapes that were all shot around the assassination, they kept on noticing them, this umbrella man, and you know, people theorized that he was some kind of signal to the shooter, or maybe a marker to show you know the car has passed across a certain point shoot now because he actually opened the umbrella when the car got close um and then some people even suggest that it was some kind of 007-esque umbrella gun (laughs) but it wasn't pointed at the president it was pointed up like a normal umbrella it was pointed up like a normal umbrella but on a sunny day so that's why people were like this doesn't fit what's going on here Mm. and they actually found him he's a man called louis stephen witt um, and Louis's story is that he was protesting JFK's father, Joe Kennedy's support of the appeasement policies that Neville Chamberlain had towards the, the Nazis. Um, and he wow. brought this umbrella because the umbrella at the time had become a symbol um, to basically say appeasement's bad. Umbrella equals appeasement bad. That, that was his line of thought. And I think at the time this was pretty, um, pretty you know, prevalent so mm. supposedly in nixon's presidency he banned umbrellas from going around um <laughs> okay so it, it was a, it was a thing it was like it was a, a thing it's not it's a, to us it seems weird that you'd use an umbrella but back then when people was, saw an umbrella on a sunny day you'd go oh that's he's a protester because i think a lot of people blamed neville chamberlain's appeasement policies for basically allowing the nazis to evolve into what they did mm. and the umbrella was kind of like a symbol of don't do that again um now, Louis Stephen Witt, when he said, you know, all his bit about 
oh, I was only there to protest. Um, I've actually got a quote here for you from it. So um, I quote, Someone had mentioned that the umbrella was a sore spot with the Kennedy family. Being a conservative type fellow, I sort of placed him in the liberal camp and I was just going to do a little heckling. So essentially, he went there to roast Kennedy. <laughs> he went there to troll. <laughs> He's just an, an internet troll in the 60s who had to do it in person. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, fair. God, um, I bet he felt well bad about about that day. He's the he trolls the president just before he gets shot. That would. Oof. I wonder if uh, JFK saw it in the in in his eyes, like just before he gets killed. <laughs> mm. Horrible thing if it actually was a sore spot for them. Um, yeah. And then okay, so that that was the Umbrella Man theory. I think we can brush that one to the side as yeah. probably not being the case. Um, the second one, the second bad theory is around the babushka lady. So also on the grassy knoll, there was a woman dressed in, you know, traditional Russian garb, kind of wearing like a, a headscarf, like a babushka. Okay. Um, and the, I think the, the theories around her basically come from the fact that she never came forward. They never, fa- they never identified her. So, you know, instantly that's a little bit fishy. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was taking photos. So some people believe that um, her her camera was a gun. I don't know how else to put that. But she, she's another one of these 007 spies. There was just loads of them on this grassy knoll say, it must with have these been a, crazy weapons. It must have mm. been a very crowded grassy knoll. You've got lots of mm. these international spies. In the international area. spy convention just happened to happen on this grassy knoll and someone yeah. misfired one of their weapons. Oops. Oh my god, that's 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 so weird. I love the idea of it being part of a. I like like the um uh, these people arrive on the grassy knoll and as they're getting out their camera and umbrella, it sounds like they're like getting guns ready. It's like all this sound effects of going kuching kuching and like as they're you just see someone loading up their camera with bullets. But can you also imagine like I was just the reason I was laughing was I imagine this elderly lady trying to use a photograph a, pho- a camera gun. Can you imagine the recoil that's hit her in the face. <laughs> she shot from the, the, You know what I mean? It would be such a hard thing to aim with without hitting yourself in the face. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a good theory and I think people just say it because, you know, there's so much mystery surrounding the babushka lady. You can basically say she did anything. Yeah. She, yeah. She maybe killed Epstein. Who knows? Of it's, <laughs> it's also it's also enticing calling her the babushka lady. Like it just it just makes it sound like a more interesting story. Exactly, babushka and... lady, umbrella man. They're just fun to say. I, I want it to be these these, but it's just not. Um, okay, and then the third bad theory relates to the Kennedy curse. Ah, oh, okay. Ooh, okay. So I just want to preface this one by saying I don't believe in the curse. They just had an abnormally large sized family. Um, <laughs> Statistically, and people things are bad, happen. bad events. Yeah. Um, for example, JFK was one of nine children. But let me just take you through the list of tragedies that occurred which make people think that there's a curse. So in 1944, Joe Kennedy, the oldest brother of um, John Fitzgerald Kennedy died testing bombs for the Air Force. Um, okay. In 1948, Kathleen Kick Kennedy, his sister, died in a plane cra- crash in France. In 1963, three, um, Patrick Bouvier Kennedy, the infant son of um, 
President JFK and his wife Jackie Kennedy died in hospital after being two days old. Um, oh. Very sad, yeah. And that was only two months before the assassination as well. Um, oh, and obviously, Poor Jackie. Yeah, terrible time. Um, in, obviously, in 1963, there was as well the JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. In 1984, David Kennedy, the son of um, Robert Kennedy, um, a.k.a. JFK's nephew, um, died of a drug overdose. In 1986, um, RFK, Robert Kennedy, um, was assassinated in California. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then RFK's son, David, died skiing in 1999. He skied into a tree. Um, and then in 1999, JFK Jr. died in a plane crash along with his wife and his sister-in-law. Wow. That so is, this is quite why, a lot. This is why people think that there's some kind of curse surrounding the family just because there are so many deaths that seem, you know, very untimely. Yeah. Well, that's so, quite a lot of unlucky... Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit more... It sounds cynic. like tricky there's one. only a few of them in there that are strange and, like, super unlucky. I mean, dying after... You know, a baby dying shortly after childbirth, not too weird. You know, someone dying while they're testing bombs... Probably, you know, quite. They probably have quite a short life expectancy of your testing bonds for the military. Um, you know, quite a few of those are kind of regular deaths. But given that there are multiple assassinations and then what two plane crashes, which I guess planes aren't that stable. Yeah, like it's it, it it's not. It, you know. Yeah, there it's might maybe be a slight statistical get... anomaly. Yeah, it might be that yeah. there are some people trying to come like or have just an issue with the name Kennedy and just going after as many of them as possible. I don't know. And mm. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up um, something that I was pointed to in my research, um, an article written by Maureen Callahan of the New York Post um, called The Real Curse of the Kennedys. And I think it's probably, it's, it's good to bring this up just because, like Patrick was mentioning earlier, JFK is really remembered as like this glamorous playboy. Um, mm. But in reality, if we look at it from like just normal people, he was a bit of a... Well, I'd say a bit. He was a douchebag. Um, <laughs> the real Kennedy curse is that they don't view women with any respect. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So JFK's dad, Joe Kennedy, used to bring his mistress home and have dinner with her um, with the family. Wow. Oh, my Inclu- his wife would be there, the mistress would be there, the kids would be there. That's like some um, French royalty shit, like where the mistress was a was a person of high esteem at court. Yeah, yeah. and it, that, that's not all for for Joe Kennedy. Set, setting the example for all his kids in 1941, Rosemary, um, JFK's sister, she was 23 at the time. She, by all accounts, was a vibrant young lady, maybe a little bit rebellious. She had her own ideas. Mm. Um, she um, was sent to get a lobotomy by her dad. Oh my what? God. A lobotomy. Yeah. A lobotomy. Essentially, fucking. From hell. what I've, from what I understand, it was because you know she was stepping out of line. Oh my she was God. maybe making the Kennedys look bad from Joe's perspective. And after the lobotomy, she was actually unable to speak. She was oh just never God. the same again. That's his solution. A fucking yeah. lobotomy. Oh yeah. my God. Terrible. And this was JFK's dad doing doing these horrible things. And then JFK himself, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. Um, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, and Patrick was talking about, his, context- his behaviours and kind of um, 
legend is contextualized as some kind of quirk of the swinging 60s. Um, okay. However, Conspiracy Corner has no room for this kind of behavior. <laughs> you can't act like that in the bunker. So we're not going to let him off for it just because of the time. Yeah, um, good, good, I like it. You know, you can go and look up a plethora of these horrendous acts against women that he did, but I think one that I just want to bring to light is really shocking, at least... Um, I've never heard this happen before. It's horrible. But in her memoir, Mimi Alford, um, who was a former intern of Kennedy's when she was 19 and he was uh, new to the White House, um, wrote that basically they were romantically involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was 19. He was Oof. married. God. But the Oof. horrible thing is, he used to stow her away in the cargo hold of um, Air Force One when they were going around. What? In the cargo hold. Yes, basically to you know take his mistress to wherever they're going. But for fuck's like sake, a... why the cargo hold? <laughs> Put her in with <laughs> so the press. People didn't know. For yeah. the press call, make her like seem like she, someone yeah. irrelevant. Don't put her in with the fucking luggage. Like <laughs> some weird sex slave that you're dragging around with you. Yeah, it's very. Oh. An- it feels like you're treating them like you. I mean, you put what do you put animals down in the hold, don't you? It's like. Yeah, and she was 19 at the time. He's the president. It's just like, she's probably not going to have the wherewithal to say no to this kind of stuff. No. So I just, um, I think it was important to mention that the Kennedy curse might not be what you think. I think it really is a a systematic, um, you know, disrespect to women. Yeah. Yeah. God. Okay. I mean, well, it's a bit no, weird it calling is... it a curse because a curse makes it seem like it's not their fault when it is very much is their fault. Like they are just sound <laughs> like awful people who are horrendous to women. Um, oh yeah, because I mean, JFK was you know accused of adultery and sleeping with Marilyn Monroe. Is that true? Yeah. That, that, that's one of them. Yeah, yeah and yeah. then obviously Mimi Alford was another. Yeah, actually, the Marilyn Monroe thing is fairly minor in comparison. I mean, that's that, that, that's more of a Bill Clinton story, whereas the that other one's just... Poor girl. Yeah. So I saved the worst theory of them all for last. And that theory <laughs> okay. is the official story. Okay. Oh, oh the brilliant. The oh, 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 you really got me there. <laughs> you really... I really took that and went, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. So the Warren Commission was put together by LBJ to investigate the assassination. And I'll skip over all of the boring details and just tell you that they found um, that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone and he shot three bullets, like Patrick mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the first shot, um, the bullet missed. So this is the bullet that Patrick was talking about that wounded James Tay, the man in under the underpass. Mm-hmm. The second bullet hits JFK and Connolly, um, so it's not fatal. And the third and final bullet that he shot was the killer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think where this theory that they put forward falls down is around the second bullet. So this is commonly referred to as the magic bullet in conspiracy yeah. circles. And this was put forward by Arlen Specter, um, who was a staffer at this time on the um, the Warren Commission. And he went off, off to become a governor, I think, at some stage, or a senator. Basically, he, he got quite high in American politics afterwards. Okay. And this evidence... Very suspect. Um, sorry, 
yeah, fairly suspect, fairly suspect. And the the second bullet, the magic bullet theory, is essentially the keystone evidence that there was a single shooter. Although the commission said that it's not integral to the single shooter theory, but we all know that it is. Without this theory, it just doesn't work. It doesn't so, make sense, yeah. I want to take you guys through the um, magic bullet quite slowly, just so we all get it. So this second oh. bullet is shot um, as the car is moving away from um, Lee Harvey Oswald's, Oswald's position in the um, mm -hmm. school book depository. And it enters the president's back, headed downward at an angle of 17 degrees. So this is the first wound. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, it then moves upwards in order to leave Kennedy's body from a from the front of his neck. This is the second wound. Um, it waits 1.6 seconds, then moves in an S shape and hits Colony in Connolly in his right armpit. That's the third wound. The bullet then heads downwards at an angle of 27 degrees, shattering Connolly's fifth rib and exiting from the right side of his chest. That's wound four. What it fuck? then turns right and re-enters Connolly <laughs> on a, at his right wrist and completely shatters it. That's wound five. It exits the wrist. That's wound six. Does a U-turn and buries itself in Connolly's left thigh. And that's the seventh and final wound of the magic bullet. Now, where this magic <laughs> bullet story gets even crazier is that it was found in pristine condition on Connolly's gurney at the hospital. And it's what? this pristine bullet that was able to link the rifle that Patrick mentioned earlier hmm. to the bullet and basically put one-on-one -on -one together. Lee Harvey Oswald did it. Um, so now, to, just, to, just to clarify, so it's, it's just that all these injuries happened and the Warren Commission says it was all this one bullet. And in order to do that, it would have to do this ridiculous path through... Kennedy down and then an S shape into into Colony's back and then throughout a different point to hit his wrist and then turn round and hit so it just uh, that's where the, the the commission falls down is that this magic bullet bullets don't move physics. like that yeah yeah physics. physics doesn't work like I mean well according to the Warren things, Commission but... and science it could work <laughs> oh I see oh they oh they asked science they oh, asked well, there we science go. and there, science there we go. said yes science gave, gave them the thumbs up. That was the, the, I, the, the science funded by government, though, wasn't it? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so what's but, the... Uh, okay, oh, sorry. right. No, 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 carry on, sorry. I'm sure you'll tell me what, what the alternative is. I, I mean, I don't get how that is even possible, obviously. So ba basically, another thing that people get really heated at when this happens, and I, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to the Joe Rogan podcast, but he talks about JFK <laughs> in every fourth episode, um, <laughs> is that the, the bullet should have shattered... Um, I, I'm no gun or bullet expert myself, but apparently when the bullet hits bone, it usually like doesn't come out in pristine condition. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think that the craziest part about the magic bullet is the the 1.6 second wait um, that it had to do. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that. I agree. That seems unusual for a bullet to hang around for Especially a bit. Especially when it's not, when it's, it's also, I mean, that's obviously bullshit, but like also it's mo it's a moving target. So even if it, if it did pause in midair for 1.6 seconds, surely the car would have, the motorcade's still moving. So it would be so much further away to then re-enter <laughs> the body. That's true. That's true. That There's a lot that just doesn't make sense with the magic bullet when you take it into account. 
and realistically, I think probably there was more than one shooter. That's mm. that's what this would lead us to believe, right? Okay, there, yeah. They can't yeah, have just been yeah. three shots. Um, another thing that people like to say about the Warren Commission's findings about um, Lee Harvey Oswald is that he was trained, yes, but this was just an incredible shot to make. Mm. And to nail it like he did, pretty incredible. I'm not saying that um, unlikely events don't happen, but he really, you know, he, he hit the long tail here. So wait, did you, you said he had training. So like, what training had he had? Yeah, I think he was a marine. He was a marine. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was a marine in the in the U.S. Army division of the Marines. So yeah, had training. Okay, well, fair enough. Yeah. So people people think maybe he wasn't the guy to make that shot, but I think that's probably one of the weaker um, allegations against the theory. I think where mm. it falls down and doesn't get back up is hmm. when people have done a frame-by-frame evaluation of the Zapruder film, which is the the film everyone's seen, from, oh, taken yes. from the grassy knoll. Mm. Um, essentially, a man named Mr. Zapruder um, <laughs> filmed this from a, from a good angle where you could see everything. And this mm. is the one that's been broken down timeless, um, time and time again um, in all of these conspiracy talks. And supposedly... Um, there wasn't enough time span between um, when the first bullet, sorry, when bullet number two hit and bullet number three hit um, for Lee Harvey Oswald to reload and shoot again. Oh, of course. Ah. Because the thing is, um, it was a bolt action, wasn't it? It wasn't a magazine. Yeah. So you'd have to literally open up the gun, put a new bullet in and close it and then shoot again. Supposedly, yeah. he would have had to do that at such a rate that people just really, really doubt that he was going to be able to do mm. that. Now, since the Warren Commission, there's been more work done by the government. I think you guys may may know a little bit about this. Mm-hmm. So in 1976, the House Select Committee on Assassinations was set up literally because the CIA intentionally withheld info from the original Warren Committee investigation. Oh, typical. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Um... And yet again, I'm not going to get bogged down in details because that would not be traditional conspiracy. <laughs> but the so the House Select Committee said, and I quote, the committee believes on the basis of the evidence available to it that John F. Kennedy was probably assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. The committee is unable to identify the other gunman or the extent of the conspiracy. Wow, this so is an official... official an official report says it is a conspiracy <laughs> but yeah. also that they say there's at least one other shooter which obviously makes sense because you can't make a magic bullet fly like that obviously mm. and i guess so... that's, the, that's that's kind of the description of a conspiracy isn't it like at bare bones it means it's a group of people acting together that's the definition of a conspiracy not just you know spooky exactly. things are going yeah. on you know it's it's a group <laughs> acting as opposed to a lone slightly deranged gunman which is the i guess the the official line from the warren commission yeah exactly and there are some more um quotes that i want to give you guys so you may remember john Connolly. he was the um governor of texas who was in the in the vehicle with jfk who was also hit by that magic bullet so in 1966 (laughs) in a life magazine interview he said there is my absolute knowledge and nelly's too his wife that one bullet caused the president's first wound and an, and an entirely separate shot hit me. 
So oh. he's saying that the three bullet theory is completely wrong. There must have been more than three. Wow. Okay. And then um, Lyndon B. Johnson in 1973 said to The Atlantic, and I quote, I never believed that Oswald acted alone, but I can accept that he pulled the trigger. Okay. So oh, even LBJ thought that there was a conspiracy. Which is strange that he accepted the findings of the Warren Commission if he came out with this uh, this this quote in 73. Yeah. It's weird yeah, that, that he doesn't weird, know. Surely he should... Is the CIA keeping things from the president? Probably. I mean, oh, I'm absolutely. assuming most conspiracy theorists assume the CIA... <laughs> Oh, can be keeping everything from these elected officials who will be gone in a few years anyway. I really um, wouldn't exactly. put it by them. I mean, look what they did Presidents with Presidents have a short, short time in office. The CIA be there for directors a can be there for a lot longer. Mm. Yeah, you get the same sort of conspiracy theories around um, in the UK with the, the civil service and the secret service. They aren't elected, so they'll outlast any sort of elected officials so they can choose what to give to to those people who are seen as temporary. Mm. Oh, spooky. Anyway, sorry, carry on. So we've established that there's a conspiracy, but I guess the real question is who was behind it? Who's now, the This master. is where we can really dig in to some interesting theories. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the first interesting theory is that it was the mob. Ooh, Classic. Okay. What, the Italian mob? So three separate outfits claimed responsibility: Chicago, Miami, and New Orleans. Oh, they actually Whoa. they actually, they actually said it was them. They claimed yeah. it. They were like, wow. "Yeah, fuck yeah, we did it. It was us." <laughs> Fear <Wow>. us. <laughs> You're probably trying to increase their street credit at the time, but yeah, the the way um the the mafia worked is that each city had its own kind of um, regional mafia. And mm. then they'd kind of all group together, and there was a kind of like a, a mafioso board um, <laughs> yeah. who headed headed things up, and like one one family would kind of take charge of that. Mm. Um, so yeah, Joe Kennedy, JFK's dad, had ties to the mob through bootlegging, and in particular the Chicago mob. Um, now there were rumors that the mob helped JFK get elected. Um, yeah, and I've heard they that, would have yeah. done. Yeah. I don't know how much I believe that, um, but supposedly they did this by pressuring unions to su- to support Kennedy, amongst other things. But there were no reports of like violence in Chicago trying to make people vote for Kennedy. And also the largest, um, well, the famous Jimmy Hoffa, the head of the unions, the union's boss, actually mm. supported Kennedy oh, um, really? and told the unions to vote for Kennedy. So I, I don't know if the mob actually did anything yeah did they need to do anything they already had you know the union leaders and they already had a lot of money in joe kennedy anyway so you know that's basically all you get from the mob would be money and control over unions back then so yeah and i don't don't know how helpful they were but um if there were promises that you know they'd help get jfk elected and jfk would do a little bit of a kickback maybe ease off of um organized crime um maybe help the mob here and there maybe that maybe that was something that happened um mm, sure. but in reality jfk and especially his brother robert got real on organized crime a lot more sorry they went a lot harder on it started to mm. really try and taper it off um because i think at that time in the 60s the mafia was really hitting its stride 
I think okay. at one point the mafia actually was, and th- this is a quote from a mafioso, bigger than U.S. Steel, which oh, I wow. believe you can imagine is a huge industry. Wow. <laughs> um, but JFK himself had connections to the Chicago mob boss Sam Giacana. Um, they actually shared a mistress, though at separate times, um, and her name was Judith Campbell Exner, if you want to look her up at any point. Okay. Um, I just think it's weird that a president and a mob boss have, like, the same ex-girlfriend, essentially. Yeah, what a, what a memoir weird, it? it would be from her, if she could say... I mean, that would be... She could write a great book. <laughs> Bedroom of a, exactly. of a mafioso boss and the president. I mean, that's a really cool... Her life story would be amazing. <laughs> I wonder, I'm, I'm sure there probably is stuff out there on it. But an interesting point around Giancana is that he was also assassinated. Um, oh, okay. And it might interest you around the situation um, that led to his, his assassination. So he was supposed to testify around his role in a CIA assassination plot in 1978. So supposedly he was working with the CIA to mm-hmm. carry out an assassination. Oh, and right. before he could testify on this... Um, he himself was assassinated. Presumably by the CIA. By the CIA, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? You, <laughs> Who you knows? guys are drawing good conclusions now. You're learning. <laughs> well, we're literally we're re- indoctrinated into your... Into yeah, your... We're, we're really <laughs> leaning into this. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, where I want to go with this is I want to follow the money. Now, <laughs> okay. the mob had massive interests in cuba in the 60s so the story around cuba is that maya lansky one of the big names in the new york mob owns hotels nightclubs casinos you name it um in havana so the riviera the havana hilton um these were all host hosting plane loads of american tourists Mm. basically to go there and live out there Westworld fantasy. It was kind of just like, wow. Like, I don't. You guys have been to Vegas. Yeah. And if you haven't, the Vegas is kind of um, a place where people go to like really let loose. And I mm. think this is what Havana was in the sixties, a place to get away, forget out your troubles, and just get up to some kind of hedonistic um, activities. Mm. So, the mob was really, really unhappy with JFK because he essentially allowed Castro to take over the country. And, you know, when this first happened, the mob didn't really mind too much. They thought, oh, we've actually supplied Castro with arms to some extent. Um, (laughs) He's probably going to work with us. We don't care who's in charge as long as we can keep on doing what we're doing. The situation, however, was that, first of all, Castro wasn't going to let them keep doing what they were doing, and news of his takeover effectively halted the flow of tourists to Cuba. And then essentially, further down the line, America and Cuba completely broke off relations. So this massive cash cow that was Havana um, basically went to zero for the mob overnight because, um, in their eyes, JFK let it happen. Oh. And if there were some kind of deal, back backdoor deals with JFK and the mob, mm. you can see why they wouldn't be too happy that he would let something like this happen. They turned sour on him. I guess it's not so much that he's, you know, because he was obviously not supporting Castro, but just didn't do a good enough job of preventing 
uh, Fidel Castro from taking over and, and, and ruling. Well, Maybe some could say that he was appeasing Castro. Wow, bringing it all yeah. back. I like it. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, I think that that's an interesting part of the story. And I, mm. I'm one to always follow the money. So I think that's pretty, to me, that, that's a good enough reason why they'd want him gone. Mm. Um, not taking enough of a stance on Cuba. And I think one thing that we haven't done yet is taken a look at Jack Ruby, the man Patrick mentioned who killed um, Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. So Jack Ruby was a nightclub owner in Dallas. Um, okay. And this this wasn't like, you know, your typical go out for the drinks with the boys kind of for a little bit of a boogie <laughs> kind of nightclub. It was a it was a topless bar. A oh, right. Bit, okay. Classy. Bit risque. Yeah. And he had massive connections to, you guessed it, the Dallas mob. Wow. So he, he was actually seen having dinner with a man named Joseph Cavello. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Maybe it's Chivello. Um, That's a name you want to pronounce correctly, I think. Yeah. If any name you don't want to get wrong. The, Look, the... I'm pretty safe in my bunker. I, maybe you guys want to go and check <laughs> it and edit over my mispronunciation. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> But essentially, they were seen having dinner together the night before JFK's assassination. And then Ruby was visited in jail quite a bit by this um, Joseph fellow um, okay. after he was, you know, obviously in jail for murdering um, Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. So he had mob connections. You can see that this story might check out. The mob was annoyed because JFK essentially stopped their money coming in and mm-hmm. then they got maybe Lee Harvey Oswald to kill him and Jack Ruby, somehow they got him to cover up Lee Harvey Oswald, because clearly Lee Harvey Oswald um, I don't want to make him sound like a victim here but mm. he had a few screws loose he was a communist yeah. sympathizer he was a little bit um, he tried to renounce his US citizenship he wasn't all there, I don't think, but okay. obviously you wouldn't be if you killed the president yeah. so I think maybe Imagine. he oh you guys, okay um, well, just uh, just on that, because actually I, I noted down some of the things. This is from the Warren Commission, but uh, and, the, and this part might have been like a push to pin it all on uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, but they um, described him as having deep-rooted resentment to all authority, uh, had an inability to, to enter meaningful relationships with people, and had an urge to find a place in history. So they saw him, and I think lots of people saw him as a kind of troubled soul who could have been easily manipulated. And that's kind of what it sounds like you're describing, is that he was, you know, he wasn't really working for the mob, but could have possibly been manipulated by the mob to act on their behalf. Exactly. And I think before um, the assassination happened, he took a little trip to Mexico City, where at the time it was full of, you know, members of people who are connected to the mob, people who are connected to the Soviets. Mm. And there's three days where they don't know what he was doing down there. So oh, I think really? if people can find out what's going on in those three days, who he, who he was talking to, you might actually find out a lot about what happened. And like I said, I, I've cracked the case without knowing what happened on those three days. <laughs> so you, okay. you can just rest on rest on what I'm saying. Don't, don't even go and try and find what he did. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that is theory number one, that it was the mob. Um, what do you what do you guys think about that one? Do you I mean, I, it? I you can see it? it. I feel like I can see that being a, a you've you've laid it out pretty well. Following mm. the money is always the way that yeah. lots of these things go. Um, personally, though, I I'm not sure. I don't know. I feel like it's it's not the one that I'd go straight to. 
I don't think. I don't know why. There's something about it I don't like. I feel like there's a there's a certain level of like I can't like it's such the audacity of a mafia to take out the president. I mean, I can understand taking out a mayor, perhaps a governor, but I mean, when in any other time in history has an organized crime syndicate taken out the head of a state and one of the possibly the most powerful man in the world? <laughs> well, I can see you're <laughs> frantically trying to think. I can't think of any, but uh. it just. You know, there's the you know criminal organisations are on a level. I wonder if they are high up enough to really think we can kill a president. And you know, it just and, you know, and so I like, I like, yeah, I agree. I like the following the money, and it all makes sense and it all fits together. The only bit I, I get stuck on is could could a could a mafia family decide to kill a president? It just it almost it seems too much. It's I too mean, much. you know what it is actually. I know I've realised what I don't like about it. It's far too public. In terms of like the death, it could so easily have been done. Well, maybe not more easily because he was, you know, an open top car. But I, you know, it it's very, it it's very risky. It could so easily have gone wrong. You mm. know, even with two shooters, I mean, you're, you had to be pretty good to shoot from that far. You know, I don't know. I feel like that's not. It seems like they could have done it. They could have done it. The, the mob being with their connections could have poisoned him or or shot him behind closed. I mean, he is the president and hard to get to, but it, it feels too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Maybe a bit too, maybe a too, bit too public and showy for the mob. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, let's hear season. Let's hear season two. Season two. <laughs> let's hear conspiracy number two then. Conspiracy number two, and I think everyone probably saw this one coming, is that it was the CIA. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. Obviously. Oh, I'm rubbing so, my hands. I'm looking forward to this. Let's hear it. <laughs> so the main thing that JFK did to piss off the CIA was he basically said he'd provide an umbrella of air support um, during the Bay of Pigs. And when it came down to it, he didn't. Um, and this is one of the reasons that the Bay of Pigs failed, um, essentially making the CIA look terrible, um, mm. being one of the reasons that Cuba was overtaken and kept um, by the communist forces, was that Bay of Pigs failed. So... The CIA weren't happy with this, put it that so way. So he was supposed to back them up, essentially, and, and then and then didn't give the order. He was supposed to provide more support, yeah. Um, and in the wake of the Bay of Pigs, JFK fired a lot of people in the CIA, which kind of had never happened before. Um, really... And one of the people he fired was a man named Alan Dulles. Um, and he was actually the director of the CIA, the most long-standing director the CIA had ever had. So this man wow. was used to power. Yeah. He was used to doing what he wanted um, and basically running running the CIA is a huge amount of responsibility clandestine mm. black um, sorry black money is that the, is it dark money sorry. Dark money. Um, all these dark mm. money um, projects that he was running. You know, he's probably gotten used to it and being fired by this guy from Boston younger than him. Mm. New money, all this Swaggering, kind of crap. Probably, tea, yeah, yeah. It didn't didn't sit well with him. Um, so another interesting thing about this Alan Dulles is that he was actually on the Warren Commission. Oh, was he? Oh, of course he would have been. No, oh, actually, been, well, he, already... he wasn't CIA director at the time. No, LBJ um, just appointed him wow. onto it, which was probably a massive conflict of interest, seeing as yeah. the guy had been fired directly by um, JFK. Yeah. Wow, that's so, he so, that's, could, 
oh, yeah, so he's in a position to he's in a position to uh, set the narrative. Exactly. Um, now, I think at the time the CIA was really really quite powerful and this had become a little bit of an issue in JFK's um his his eyes now you hear a lot about the military industrial complex today um basically having a lot of power in the US but at the time the questions were still there i think there's a really famous speech given by um JFK around warning people of secret societies um and this kind of military-industrial complex being very secretive um, and powerful and basically not answering to anyone. And I think another interesting thing to mention is that there was a false flag attack planned. Um, I believe it was in in Florida. They were going to basically stage an attack by Cubans um, to give them an excuse to invade Cuba. And J JFK was was like no what, what, what is uh, this wow. what is really? this so interesting because i because yeah. that was that was one of the um the results of the cuba missile crisis that they that america agreed they would not invade cuba unless provoked so the cia then went well we'll wow. set up a provocation then yeah exactly so he vetoed this and you can see the cia is taking cuba very seriously mm. and they might see um jfk as you know kind of appeasing them um so they were clearly very powerful they were clearly very annoyed and um i think if anyone could do it the cia probably would get away with it if they wanted to seeing as they were so involved with the warren commission they could set mm. really set the narrative like you mentioned um i guess and that's I think why that's why the cia are always at the heart of so many conspiracy theories is because if there's any group that could pull off this stuff uh, without the you know huge, without a huge amount of luck and either you know, really leaps in the imagination, the CIA are the ones to do it. I mean, they're they're the ones who would know everything, and have you know trained professionals, and the money and the capability to do whatever they want. The other the other thing I like about this theory more than the last one is, I can imagine uh, staging such a bizarre, not conspiracy, um, murder assassination of a of a president is a bit like it seems so implausible that it could be the cia and it would have mm. to be a couple of crazy people who shot him that is a great cover for a cia mm. planned operation especially when you already have one scapegoat and if the second shooter was like a cia trained specialist who actually killed jfk in the end that is perfect it's literally perfect exactly and i think as well <laughs> They had to do it in such a way that it didn't look like it was the Russians. It oh, had to look yeah. like it was coming from within the US, like it was, like you said, like a crazy person mm. um, or a crazy couple of people did this by themselves. It had no involvement of the Soviets, no involvement of the CIA. Um, we can just pin it on them and move on. Yeah. So I think they had to do it in such a way that it didn't provoke another <laughs> nuclear war. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I'll give you my penultimate theory before I get, tell you what actually happened. Oh, um, good, good. So this penultimate theory, <laughs> may, it's quite short. So let me just tell you, the Secret Service was essentially really lazy and they just fucked up. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so the um, House Select Committee um, declared that, and I quote, 
the Secret Service was deficient in the performance of its duties um, regarding JFK's assassination. So essentially what they said is, number one, the president didn't receive adequate protection in Dallas. Number two, the Secret Service possessed information that was not properly analyzed, investigated, or used by the Secret Service um, in connection to his trip to Dallas. So um, Lee Harvey Oswald was actually under surveillance by the FBI. Um, Oh, really? But there wasn't any communication between the Secret Service and the FBI, so they didn't know about it. But if there had been communication, if they hadn't been so lazy, they'd have known. Mm about sure. this connection and they've been like oh wait a second uh we're going across the route where this guy is working he's clearly yeah. a threat maybe we shouldn't go there um and then number three the secret uh, secret the secret <laughs> service agents in the motorcade were inadequately prepared to protect the president from a sniper so they didn't take any actions to like jump across jfk when they they heard the first shot or anything like they're trained to do. Mm. Um, And actually, a man named Abraham Bolden, the first African-American on the White House Secret Service detailed, claimed to have actually heard secret secret service agents saying that they would not protect Kennedy from would-be assassins. Wow. So I just think the Secret Service were really... I, there's no better word for it. They were lazy. They were like, "What's going to happen? No one's going to shoot the president." So they were just <laughs> resting them, on their. I bet one of them. I bet one of them said that this morning. It's like <laughs> it's not like someone's going to shoot the president. And then, and I think this is really this is um, exemplified by the fact that um, the motorcade was a really unusual route. It had a lot of t- turns which meant that they couldn't really go very fast. And the motorcade usually has to go quite fast for safety reasons. So if Mm. someone was trying to shoot them, it would be a really, really hard shot. Mm. Um, So they were going much slower than they usually would. And this route, route, however you want to say it, um, was chosen by Secret Service agents. And I actually have their names. Winston G. Lawson and Forrest V. Sorrells. And they didn't communicate this route with the FBI at all. Oh, Um, God. And the FBI so no one... flagged it as you're driving past a, a, a person of interest to us where he works. Yeah, and obviously the parade route was announced before, but this was like the FBI found out at the same time as the public. So it was already chosen, they couldn't change it. Um, and along the route, there were 20,000 windows. Um, and essentially, they didn't have enough men to man every window like he usually would. So instead of stationing men at some windows or inspecting them moving on, they just didn't do anything. They didn't do anything. There were no checks on those windows. No checks. What the fuck? So the Secret Service was super lazy and they basically fucked up the one time there was actually a problem. Um, Okay. So is that like sort of saying it's not really... It is a conspiracy theory, but it's basically they're, they're hiding the fact that they were just shit. Yeah, that that's the mm. conspiracy on on this one. Basically, all the redactions, all the cover-ups is just to hide the fact that the Secret Service, the CIA, is not this omnipotent um, organization who can yeah. stop everything and basically, you know, do its job. They're saving their own skins here by covering up, this theory would suggest. I don't know how much you believe this one, but I think it is an interesting one that the Czechs... And, you know, processes that they'd usually go through weren't um, 
administered in this case and obviously someone paid the ultimate price mm. the thing that i absolutely can believe is the the lack of cooperation between the fbi and cia i mean i've just finished reading a book on on 9-11 and how the cia basically didn't tell the fbi that the terrorists were even in the country and they've been there for over a year and mm. the <laughs> fbi would have, they didn't even put them on the watch list so it's like it doesn't strike me as odd that they weren't talking to one another but it yeah. does seem there's there's like levels of the agencies where like the cia don't think the fbi or anything so don't tell them anything and then the fbi are like secret service no one cares about them we're not telling them anything and it's just like there's no information sharing so i, I have think- to admit i think this one is probably i quite like it i think it's i, I like human error is the reason because i think and that's quite likely i agree with you this this i originally thought i'd cracked it the fact that you know Occam's razor, what's more likely, a conspiracy of uh, entire organization, um, you know, colluding to kill someone and keeping it a secret for you know the rest of their lives, or mm. some people really fucked up and a crazy man was on the loose, um, you know, which is more likely? Clearly, people are lazy and there was a crazy yeah. man. Sounds yeah. very truthful, but I told you I'd cracked it, and people didn't <laughs> come here to listen to boring run-of-the-mill excuses um so let me let me go into my final and correct theory (laughs) it is coming from like a manila file that you've somehow sourced can you tell us where you found this stuff i've been alluding it to it the whole way and i i may have may have misled you a little bit umbrella man is a lot more important to the story than i first led on god oh Oh. okay buckle in here we go so, eagle-eared listeners will have noticed that I've said appeased quite a lot and kind of linked back there quite a, quite a bit. Um, so, Umbrella Man was there to basically say to JFK, um, I don't support your policies of appeasement. I don't believe um, what he said about, you know, oh, I was just there to troll. Um, <laughs> I think he was involved. Okay. I think he was put there as you know the final warning to jfk like this is why you're about to die the umbrella stands for appeasement and i think the group that did kill him was very very concerned about appeasement to cuba and what this could lead to with the soviets and i think this group took out well i know this group took out jfk (laughs) to basically put lbj in and take a much stronger stance on the Soviet Union and the communist world and pr- essentially push the military industrial complex to where it is today. Right. And I believe this group was made up of a very small and select group made up of um, ex and current CIA um, operatives, including Alan Dulles and members of the mob. So the mob and the CIA definitely had um, the same goals they were they found themselves on the same side of um the argument essentially they Mm -hmm. they wanted cuba back and you know i think they may have worked together in a very small group it wasn't like the entire organization i'm saying i'm saying it was the top Mm. the heads alan dulles and some other disgruntled cia agents working with their mob connections who i mentioned earlier had worked with the cia on assassinations before um to basically come together and assassinate what they would have seen as a very dangerous man. 
Mm. I think they saw JFK as the next Neville Chamberlain. I think they thought, you know, if Cuba falls, what's next? They were scared of the domino wow. effect early then, a little bit. They were, they were very scared of the domino effect. And like I said, throughout all of this, appeasement, appeasement, appeasement. And I think that was the reason they did it. The mob mm. didn't like the fact that, you know, JFK basically let Cuba fall. The CIA didn't like it for the same fact. And mm. I think in the 60s, especially the early 60s, World War II was very much in people's minds. Um, yeah. They'd lived through the atrocities where, you know, we have only seen them on TV. And I think appeasement was probably something the Americans didn't want to let happen again. So that's why the theory and the answer is it was Alan Dulles. Right. Okay. And so it, he's he, the... He was the one. He's the head of this secret organization, this secret snake. Mm. Um, and essentially, you see the results today. America has been at war for um, the majority of the years since the assassination. Um, True. I think you can probably look. I didn't look this up because, you know, conspiracy theorist. But there are very few years where the U.S. hasn't been involved in a, at least a hot war somewhere for example vietnam um the gulf war the iraq war afghanistan and today military spending is at 700 billion dollars a year so clearly this this cabal um at the tip of the spear has got what they wanted okay i definitely it all can makes see sense that. yeah i think yeah i think it is uh, i i can see what you're alluding to i mean i just don't think no no other theory necessarily makes much sense and i was just thinking about it like i was thinking about how most of the time when you're hearing about assassinations of heads of state it tends to be a failed assassination so for instance i know it sounds a bit different but like gunpowder plot was a conspiracy of high highly well-connected catholic nobles who were going to blow up this protestant king and if they'd succeeded they probably wouldn't be known about do you know what I mean? But because they mm. were caught, we know about them, obviously. Guy Fawkes, Robert Catesby, all that lot. Mm. A little bit like this, because they, if you take that model through to this, because they succeeded, they're never going to be revealed because they're the ones who are writing the history books. Yeah. Controlling the narrative. Yeah. Wow. So it's all, it all, and it all comes back to them i mean it all just makes sense because it you, you, it means that all the bits of all the other conspiracy theories all fit together the the connections with the mafia the the cia's interest that because because was he was he dismissed kind of by kennedy after the bay of pigs yes. which was when yes. you know he had probably planned on this great move and then um it's you know to to stabilize this region of the world and take over this dangerous country so close to america and because of kennedy um they failed and then he saw it as this you know this guy's in the way and not only that he's now fired me and dismissed me he's thrown me out but wow. also combine that with the with the terrifying um reality that there could be the war to end all wars about to happen with the nuclear threat um and you know by giving the soviets a foothold in cuba because they didn't wipe mm. them out at the bay of pigs invasion it meant that suddenly they were this close to blowing up the entire world so like the stakes couldn't be higher so if you're trying to justify mm. it if you're one of the conspirators you're doing it to save humanity 
in their own fucked up way. Exactly. They could yeah. very easily justify why they did it. And I think these are the kind of people, they've got a justification, they'll take it to them to their graves. And they tied up a lot of loose ends. For example, they made sure that Lee Harvey Oswald was assassinated by Ruby, who for some reason never spoke about the real reason why he did it. Mm-hmm. Um, Dulles was, you know, he he made sure that LBJ put him on the Warren Commission so he could tie up some loose ends. And to this day, a lot of the information is redacted that they release on the case. So, and redacted they, by the CIA. Yeah, they they got away with it, um, and I think there's nothing we can do. No, there isn't. Well, you heard it here first, listeners. That is the cracked case, the solved mystery of we JFK's assassination. After all these years, after however many years ago that was, can't do maths <laughs> <Good> quickly. <laughs> 58. The 58. 58 years. Wow. How do you feel? I mean, this is a, this is, when this hits, it's going to be big. I'm not sure if the world's ready for this, for this reveal. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. It's just so raw, you know? Only 58 years ago. Yeah. It is. And we'll um, we'll 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 wire you that um, that financial incentive to talk on the, oh yeah yeah, on yeah. The podcast later to that offshore account. It's all in Bitcoin, location. by the way, just as as requested. Of course, of course. We're no longer recording, are we? No, no, we're definitely off. Yeah, no, yeah, it's fine. no, 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 no. The the light's gone off. Um, yeah, yeah. But wow, wow, that's. I mean, I'm shaken. I I can't believe this. This is this is groundbreaking. Yeah, this is this is crazy stuff. I mean. Who would have thought that it was a CIA director? Yeah, well... Who would have thought? Not us. Co- look at Comey. Let's not go look down there, Comey. but look at Comey. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> look it up, listen. That's so conspiracy theory. Look at Comey. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything much. Look at Comey. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Do your own research. Do yeah. your own research. Don't listen to us. Find your own I don't want to tell you what to think. I've just brought up a picture of um, Alan Dulles, and he looks like, you know, he, he reminds me of a kind of you know, British general with machinations over most of the world during colonial times. I could see it in him wanting to play politics at the world stage. He'd read The Prince. He'd read Sun Tzu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knew it. He knew He knew the steps he had to take. I mean, the 60s were the, the peak time for, you know, men to really take charge and really <laughs> feel like what they were doing is right, even if it really fucked everything up. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and I mean, Area Fifty One. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, all, all I'm going to say is look out for uh, the UFO disclosures that are going to happen in July. Mm. Mm. I, Dallas yeah. behind all of it. Dallas. <laughs> when did Dallas die? <laughs> I think uh, he died in the sixties. I've got it. He died pretty Here. soon after. I think he died he in like died... sixty-seven. He died January twenty one, January twenty ninth, nineteen sixty nine. So before the moon landing, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, I don't really, I don't know what that means, but before, before the moon landing, you know, maybe that was it. That's all I'm going to say. There's always a bigger fish. That's all I'm going to say. 
Okay, well, before well, on we that... just get into a long series of before, that's all I'm going to say. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed this very special episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. Thank you, the Eagle, for, for enlightening us and for shaking the world with this revelation that we have now cracked the case of JFK's assassination. Um, we're going to have to bring you back for... I don't know, the pyramids and the aliens or something. Something equally as earth-shattering. <laughs> if you can find me. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> in some jungle in Cuba, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, so thank you, Eagle. Thank you, Will. And thank you, listeners. I hope you've really enjoyed it. We will, of course, as always, be putting some uh, interesting imagery in our Instagram channel. Um, so you can follow us on there and look at some of the cool stuff We'll do some. We'll, we'll find some cool images for um, for like the path that the the motorcade took and and some of the imagery. And I'm sure we can get some of the footage as well, probably thrown on there. Yeah. Um, and then of course we'll have to have an image of the man himself, Alan Dulles, the man behind it all. Um, perhaps like upside down with some weird symbols drawn across it to make it look extra conspiracy theory esque. <laughs> Um, oh well, and and always, uh, as always, you know, rate and review us or wherever you get a podcast. Tell a friend if there's any of your friends who are interested in conspiracy theories. This is a good one to start with. Um, but and and maybe we'll talk a bit more about conspiracy theories in the future. Who knows? The world is open if we can ever get into contact with the eagle again. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank okay. you very much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.